The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine featuring topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month... Meet World Blind Union President Fred Schroeder. Welcome to ACB Reports for January 2020. Happy New Year. The American Council of the Blind Affiliate President's Meeting and Legislative Seminar will be held from Saturday, February 22nd through Tuesday, February 25th. Register online at http colon slash slash weblink dot dot com slash DC Leadership Meeting. Meetings scheduled during this event include the ACB board meeting on Saturday, February 22nd, the affiliate president's meeting on Sunday, February 23rd, the legislative seminar on Monday, February 24th, and meetings with legislators on Capitol Hill on Tuesday, February 25th. The President's Meeting and Legislative Seminar will be held at the Holiday Inn and Suites, Alexandria Old Town. The address is 625 First Street, Alexandria, Virginia, 22314. The hotel phone number is 703-548-6300. The pre-tax room rate is $109 per night. The URL for online reservations is extremely long. If you wish to make reservations online, contact the ACB National Office and ask them to email you the reservations link. From the American Council of the Blind, you're listening to ACB Reports. The World Blind Union works internationally to improve the lives of people who are blind. The American Council of the Blind is a longtime member of the World Blind Union, and a representative from that organization participates in the ACB conference and convention each year. In 2019, that representative was World Blind Union President Fred Schroeder of Vienna, Virginia. It's a real pleasure to be here. Let me begin first uh, by acknowledging a special contribution that the American Council of the Blind made to the World Blind Union this year to help support delegates from developing countries attend our General Assembly in 2020. And I'll tell you more about the the General Assembly. But uh, I did want to begin by acknowledging that I um, I want to say I've had the real privilege and opportunity to visit many parts of the world, and one of the things that I have noticed is that there are linguistic differences even among English-speaking countries. Now, you're all aware of that. If you hear someone say, where is the lift, you know what they're asking for. They're asking for the elevator. All right. But there are some others. Uh, Not necessarily incomprehensible, but different. For example, what we call the sidewalk, do you know what it's called in England? They call it the pavement. Now, to me, the pavement is the road where a car could run you over, so I'm not going to be walking down the pavement. Uh, At least, if I am, I'd be walking with some caution. 
What do you suppose the sidewalk is called in Australia? A footpath, exactly, which is kind of logical, but I think of a footpath as something you hike on in the mountains. So there are some differences, but one I thought I would tell you about that I never would have figured out. There is a term for what we think of as a counter, like the kitchen counter in Australia. They call what we think of as a kitchen counter, they call it the bench. And I had a friend from Australia visiting and had given her a cup of coffee and she said, well, I'll just put my empty cup on the bench. And I'm thinking, I don't have a bench in my kitchen. I wonder where she has in mind to put it. So uh, I tell you that to say that one of the challenges of international work is linguistic. One of the challenges, there you go. I, I'm not sure what language that was. It wasn't, wasn't one that I know. I uh, apologize. So it is linguistic, but of course it's also cultural and there are different customs, but there are also different structures. So for example, when we say the word rehabilitation in the United States, we typically think of the full range of services that a blind person needs to be prepared for employment, including all of the, the training of learning how to function as a blind person and the training to be able to do a specific job and then eventually helping the individual secure that employment. But in most parts of the world, the term rehabilitation is separate from employment-related services. So what we would think of as perhaps the adjustment to blindness training that would fall under rehabilitation, but not specific job preparation. So there are differences, and we work with those differences in common cause. So what are some of the issues? Well, if you were to list the problems that blind people face here in the United States, those same problems are common among blind people throughout the world, and it stems from the same root cause, low expectations, society misunderstanding the capacity of blind children and adults. In many parts of the world, the problems that we experience are magnified. We all have known blind children who had difficulty getting access to good quality braille reading and writing instruction. But in many parts of the world, blind children are simply not educated. UNESCO, the United Nations Scientific Educational and Cultural Organization, estimates that in developing countries, only 2%, 2% of children with disabilities are in school. And so if a child is not in school, is not educated, opportunities for that child as an adult become very, very limited. The same challenge that we face in the area of employment is faced by blind people throughout the world. That isn't surprising. However, in many parts of the world, the problems that we face are magnified. So the problems are not unique. However, they differ in the way that they are expressed. In other words, here in the United States, blind children are not excluded from school but they also are not uniformly granted a high quality education comparable to their sighted peers. So the, the struggles, the problems, 
that we face are the same problems, but with their own unique cultural and economic twist. So, what does the World Blind Union do? Well, we try to address those issues in a way that cannot practically be done by organizations within a single country. In other words, those cross-cutting issues. Back just over a decade ago, the World Blind Union launched what it called the Right to Read campaign, recognizing that literacy is foundational, that children need to be able to read and to write if they are going to benefit from an education and if they're going to be productive adults. One of the very practical barriers that we faced is limited access to materials in accessible formats. And so the work of the World Blind Union eventually led in 2013 to what is called the Marrakesh Treaty. The Marrakesh Treaty is short for, let's see if I remember, the Marrakesh Treaty to facilitate access to published works for persons who are blind, visually impaired, or otherwise print disabled. How's that for a bureaucratic UN <laughs> title? Uh, so we call it the Marrakesh Treaty, and it did a very simple thing. It creates an international treaty instrument that allows country to share books that are produced in accessible formats. Before the Marrakesh Treaty, that could not be done. So for example, when a popular book like a Harry Potter book came out. It had to be produced in alternate formats in the United States. And if you other English-speaking countries wanted that same book, they had to produce it again. So it had to be recorded and brailled all over again in Canada, the United Kingdom, Singapore, Australia, New Zealand. I found that there are approximately 60 countries, 60, 60, countries that have English as at least one of its official languages. So when you think about the small number of books that are available in accessible formats, and then you add on top of that the redundancy, individual countries reproducing the same book in the same language in an accessible format, that limits the availability of books. So this is something that the World Blind Union worked on. However, there is a synergy. In other words, because of the advocacy of national organizations who then worked with their representatives, their representatives to the World Intellectual Property Organization, a United Nations agency, to say this treaty matters, this treaty is important, this treaty will help blind people in our country. That gave us the political support to get the Marrakesh Treaty adopted. And there's many things I could say about the Marrakesh Treaty. It, like any other solution, does not solve all of the problems. And it is still very much in the implementation stage. But it does a couple of things. One is that it creates the mechanism for sharing books, but it also did something else. When I spoke at the World Intellectual Property Organization. I hope I didn't sound like I had a chip on my shoulder, but I said, this treaty is not just about giving me 
more novels that I can read to pass my lonely hours. This is about helping blind people achieve full integration into society, to help blind children become educated, to help blind adults be able to work and to work at a competitive level. In other words, the Marrakesh Treaty is serious because the needs of blind people for full and equal opportunity are serious needs. This is not about benevolence. This is about civil and human rights. So that's the Marrakesh Treaty. There are a lot of details that I will spare you. Uh, there are other things we've been working on. Since about 2010, I've been working with the United Nations on a similar instrument that would uh, create an international standard for an audible alert signal for these very quiet electric and hybrid electric cars. Now, as I'm sure you all know, the United States has a law that requires manufacturers of these vehicles to have an alert device. And this year, model year 2020, I guess it would be, that comes out this fall, uh, half of the fleet of new electric and hybrid electric cars must have the alert sound. And then a year from now, they must all have the alert sound. Now, ones that are on the road don't have to be retrofit, but they will eventually be gone and we will have electric and hybrid electric vehicles that we can hear. And this is essential to safety. But again, putting it within the context of taking blind people seriously. In other words, why bother with an alert sound if blind people have nowhere to go? But if blind people are working and active and participating in their communities, going to school, doing the things that other people do, then it makes sense to make the roadways safe for blind people and other pedestrians. So the United States has its own national law and its own national regulations, but the idea was that we have a uniform standard worldwide. This actually is helpful to the automobile manufacturers because then they don't have to have different solutions for different markets. Uh, so we've been working on that. We got partway there with a standard under a thing called the 58 Agreement, and I'll spare you the details of all of that. But for the most part, in roughly 50 countries, including almost all of the major, major manu uh, auto manufacturing countries, we do now have a standard. Now, it's not, in my opinion, quite as good as the U.S. standard. In other words, the overall sound level is not required to be as loud as the U.S., and there are some other technical differences, but it certainly is a powerful start. And this is the kind of thing, again, that the World Blind Union can work on at an international level. I want to touch on another emerging issue. You've all heard about autonomous and connected vehicles, or what I call self-driving cars, which is kind of an in, inaccurate layman's shorthand. But these self-driving cars are coming. And I don't mean you have to dodge them. I don't mean they're coming literally, but they will be here, they will be here before long. 
Now that's a wonderful thing. Well, I've owned cars for my kids, but I've never owned a car that I could operate, or at least a car that I should be operating. <laughs> All right, so presumably, if I, if I live long enough, I noticed I was out of the age demographic for that gathering that was announced before the break. Uh, <clears throat> but perhaps I'll have a self-driving car. They say that one of the early uses of this self-driving technology will be rideshare companies like Uber and Lyft. And so at some point here, you will call up your Uber and an autonomous vehicle will pull up. Now, there are some obvious accessibility issues. You need to be able to tell the car where to go. Uh, and, you know, if, if you get in the car and it's cold, presumably you want to be able to turn the heat on and other things. These are basic what, what I put in the category of accessibility features. And that I think the auto manufacturers understand. They haven't necessarily fully addressed them, but I think, I think they understand those issues. But there's a second category of issues that I call usability. Maybe this is a distinction without a difference, but for example, if I call an Uber and the app says your car is here, well, where is here? I'm standing out in front of the grocery store. Where is my Uber? I need to find that vehicle. So that I would put in the category of usability. And there are some other things. So I'm in the vehicle and the app says you've arrived and the car stops. Well, am I actually at the door or is it stopped at a red light 60 feet from the door, which is across the intersection. These are things that automobile manufacturers need to know about. So representing the World Blind Union, in May I spoke at a thing called the International Transport Forum, which is directed to ministers of, of transportation from around the world and talked about some of these issues. And also at, at a UN conference back in March I talked about them. But I made one other point. I talked about the need for literacy as far as taking blind people seriously. And I used that same concept when talking about issues around pedestrian safety. That only if you understand that blind people have the capacity to work and to participate in the community, to go to school, to go shopping, that to take us seriously is at the heart of the need for those considerations. I talked about it, but in a slightly different way with respect to autonomous and connected vehicles, and that's this. When you talk to people about accessibility, what's the first thing that pops into their minds? Cost. Extra cost. And to say it bluntly, because we don't have much time, it's what I call a social benevolence model. That when you talk about accessibility to the person hearing it, they're thinking, what you're asking me to do is spend more money to accommodate you so that I feel good. That's the message they hear. Maybe I'm still cranky from being outside the age demographic for that gathering, but, <laughs> but I do think that's very often the message. In other words, if you said to a hotel, these days, thank goodness, they mostly have braille on the rooms, but if it didn't and you said you ought to have braille signage, they would think to themselves, you're asking me to do a charitable act for the blind. 
And if you point out they have signs, print signs for sighted people, they think, well, yeah, of course. Of course we have. They don't think of that as an act of charity for sighted people. So when I talk about connected and autonomous vehicles, I ask people to move beyond the social benevolence mindset of accessibility and usability for blind people to an economic benefit model. So here's what I mean by that. We estimate, well actually the World Health Organization estimates that there are approximately 253 million blind and partially sighted people in the world. So what I said to this conference of transportation ministers is I've said, as new automobile technology is developed, your marketplace does not appreciably change. When you introduced a hybrid electric car, you had to either persuade your existing customer to buy this new technology, or uh, your existing customer might buy the old technology, but essentially your pool of customers didn't change. Now, you might have tried to attract a few customers from your competitors, but if you think of the worldwide market of people buying cars, new technologies in automobiles don't change that marketplace. But I said, autonomous vehicles do. If done correctly, you have now added a quarter of a billion potential new buyers. That is not, that is not something that happens with your other technologies. And so if you are going to take advantage of a quarter of a billion potential new buyers, your product needs to be not only minimally functional, but attractive and suited to the needs of that constituency. These are some of the things that the World Blind Union is doing. We have our General Assembly scheduled next June in Madrid. And if you're able to come, I think you'd find it a tremendous experience to be there. And of course, ACB will be represented. It is a member organization of the World Blind Union. So in closing again, I just want to thank you not only for your participation, your ongoing participation, but particularly for the special contribution so that we can help people from developing countries come and learn how to advocate and advocate effectively for the needs of blind children and adults. Thank you so much for having me. That was World Blind Union President Frederick Schroeder of Vienna, Virginia, recorded in July 2019 during the conference and convention of the American Council of the Blind. Are you missing out on the action in movies? Do you wonder what's so special about a famous painting or national monument? Are you frustrated when there's no information about visual details during important live events? The American Council of the Blind, ACB, and its audio description project, ADP, aim to bring more meaning and enjoyment to entertainment, cultural, and educational experiences for blind and visually impaired people through audio description. Audio description, live or as a voiceover narrative, makes visual imagery accessible to people who are blind or visually impaired. 
The Audio Description Project works to promote and advocate for the use of high-quality audio description in television, movies, performing arts, museums, educational materials, and other venues where visual media is critical to the understanding and appreciation of the content. These visual elements can include action, costumes, setting, gestures, facial expressions, and other visually important images. The ADP sponsors a broad range of activities designed to build awareness of audio description among the general public as well as among its principal users, people who are blind or have low vision. As part of its mission, the ADP maintains a list of described DVDs, broadcast television programs, movies, performing arts, museums, and national parks. As the only repository of all audio described titles on DVD and the video streaming services of Amazon, iTunes, Apple TV+, Disney+, and Netflix, etc., the ADP has created a new index of all the titles. This new master index allows you to look up any movie or TV series to see if it is available for purchase or with a subscription. This index can be accessed on the ADP website, www.acb/adp.org. At present, 3,368 described videos are available. The Audio Description Project also offers a biennial ADP conference and mentoring program, which includes consumers of audio description working with describers and industry representatives. It sponsors and promotes the ADP awards, including the Benefits of Audio Description and Education Contest, co-sponsored with the Described and Captioning Program, which recognizes reviews of described material that have been written by blind students. It maintains the Audio Description Discussion Group Listserv, an active Facebook page, and Twitter feed. The ADP sponsors two Audio Description Institutes each year. These are three-day intensive training seminars on the development of high-quality audio description. This project produces description for special initiatives, such as the White House Audio Described Tour, a national broadcast of description for presidential inaugurations, and live description of the solar eclipse, along with selected description projects for museums, performing arts, and film. The ADP is working with other national service organizations and the Academy for Certification of Vision Rehabilitation and Education Professionals to develop a certification process for audio description writers and audio description consumer consultants. It offers leadership on issues regarding audio description at the federal, state, and local levels as well as within international forums. Learn more at www.acb/adp.org. Whether you are attending a technical college and entering college freshman, undergraduate, or graduate student, the American Council of the Blind has a great opportunity for students who are legally blind to earn a scholarship. Over $55,000 in scholarships are awarded by the organization each year. To be eligible for these scholarships, a student must be legally blind, maintain a 3.0 grade point average, and be involved in your school and local community. As a scholarship winner, you will experience firsthand the National Conference and Convention of the American Council of the Blind in July 2020. There, you will meet other students who share the same life experiences, create lasting friendships, 
and network with individuals who understand the challenges you are going through. Scholarship applications may be submitted online until 11.59 p.m. Central Standard Time on Friday, February 14, 2020. To begin the application process, all interested candidates must register for a new ACB account. After the account request has been approved, candidates will receive an email which contains a link to complete the scholarship application. For information about setting up the account or about the available scholarships, contact Nancy Fila in the ACB National Office at 800-866-3242. That's 800-866-3242. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports. ACB Reports.